bold vision, inspirational leadership, drive, determination, creativity. Welcome to Secrets of Staffing Success, a podcast where we talk to innovators and thought leaders in the staffing industry to discover the strategies and tactics that make these top performers stand out. And here are your hosts, the co-CEOs of Haley Marketing, Victoria Kenward and David Cerns. Now is not always. This was just one of the awesome sales and recruiting lessons shared by today's guest, Susie Dietrich, president of Top Staffing. Top Staffing and their family of companies have survived and thrived for more than 40 years. And on today's show, Susie shares some of the keys to their long-term success. And most importantly, what they've done in the past 20 months to ensure their family business isn't just crawling out of the pandemic, it's sprinting, achieving record success in multiple divisions of the company. Secrets of Staffing Success is brought to you by Haley Marketing. Right now, a lot of our clients are calling us looking for solutions to their recruiting challenges. And others are reaching out to ask about ideas to drive sales growth. Well, if you'd like help for your marketing or to improve your recruiting, our team would be happy to help. One of the free services we offer is to provide marketing roadmaps. Essentially, they're like a mini marketing plan showing you exactly what you can do. We'll give you specific ideas on things like digital marketing, branded content, automation, how you can optimize Sense and Hearfish and implement tools like HubSpot and ActiveCampaign, programmatic job advertising and how to build your employment brand, and much, much more. If you'd like to have our team prepare a roadmap for your company, give us a call at 1-888-696-2900 or visit us online at haleymarketing.com. Well, Vicki, I got to tell you, I am really happy today. I'm really happy because we're back to recording the show. And I'm really, really happy because we're not sitting in the middle of the expo hall at ASA, having people walk past us and trying to figure out how to do this show live. It wasn't the walking past. It was the stopping and waving and taking pictures. <laughs> that was and, and the guy more. with the dolly with the dishes who walked oh, right yeah. by as we were trying to record. That was my personal favorite. It sounded like a train going past the booth. <laughs> I haven't listened to those, so I don't know how they came out. Well, I guess I should do that. <laughs> I was afraid, but you know that's why we have good people to do editing for us. They, right. they, make, they make us sound better. <laughs> well, today I'm really excited. And I think it's the first time that you've met Susie Dietrich from Top Staffing and um, somebody that I've met through the American Staffing Association. She and her brother run a pretty amazing company down in Pittsburgh. They have lots of different divisions, but I'll let Susie tell us the story. So Susie, uh, welcome to Secrets of Staffing Success. Thanks for having me. So I, you, you got off the hook because you were actually supposed to be meeting with us live at Staffing World and unfortunately couldn't join us, but I will tell you, this is way better. So I'm so happy <laughs> you can be here today. But you know, for everybody that, that may not know you, would you give us just a little introduction? Sure. Well, my name is Susie Dietrich and I'm from Western Pennsylvania and me and my brother have five firms that we, we bind together, but they're actually separate companies. We have uh, top staffing, proudly my oldest and largest. My mother started tops in 1987. She's since retired. 
Um, we've got all tech staffing, which is engineering and professional. We have e-staff consulting, that's IT. We have sterling office professionals, that's simply that, everyone in an office and or human resources and the like. And then we have account staff, that's accounting and finance. So we kind of touch a lot of different verticals. The funny thing is, the only thing we won't touch is medical, and that's obviously really big in Pittsburgh, but I, I, I just, it's, uh, I'm a no on medical, so not in this state. Uh-uh. I think it's tough everywhere yeah. right now. We've been uh, been talking to a lot of companies. I mean, they're growing like gangbusters. I actually had an interesting conversation with the owner of a, a healthcare staffing from travel nursing. And just um, even he's looking at what's happening to his industry saying, it's, it's great. I, I love seeing the financials every month, but I doesn't think that it's sustainable or necessarily to the benefit long-term of the healthcare industry because there's so much pressure on wages and pulling people from one place to put them in another place and incredible stressors. But I think you've made a good decision to avoid all of that, even though short-term it's a really good place to be. So let's talk about where you are in the staffing world. And I actually like to go back to the beginning. So when mom started the business, what was the focus then? Was it all clerical? Was it other commercial? It's all light industrial. Tops is light industrial. Mm-hmm. Okay. And tell us a little bit about you know, just how the business grew, your story. My mom is actually the greatest story. Um, so my mom, uh, we were living <clears throat> in the state of Indiana. And my father wanted to come back to Pittsburgh. My mom wanted to come back to Pittsburgh. Uh, corporate life had taken my dad there. and He had a tremendous success back when it was called a personnel director, right? anymore. <laughs> and my dad always wanted to open up his own hardware store. He's always been the handiest guy in the world. And he fell in love with that idea. So they moved back to Pittsburgh because my entire family was here, including my mother's three sisters. And she wanted to be back with her sisters. So we moved here. The, 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 they opened the store. It was actually in Ace Hardware. And that was in the 1980s. And when, when, the, when everything hit and the economy went down, we lost the store. My mom had to go back to work. My dad went right back to corporate life. Um, my mom walked into a Kelly Services office. Remember Kelly Girls? Remember they used to oh, call yeah. Kelly Girls? Kelly Girls. My mom was Kelly Girl. Well, prior to that, prior to marrying my dad, my mom was secretary. and She never had the opportunity to go to college or anything like that. She was, you know, got out of high school and became a secretary. Coincidentally, became my father's secretary, which is how they met. You know, back when you could hit on your secretary, that was a lot of years ago. <laughs> it was <too>. okay then. <laughs> it was okay then. So um, after they after they moved back to Pittsburgh, my dad went right back to corporate life. My mom walked into a Kelly Services office right here in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, and they liked her. And they said, "Hey, our receptionist is going to be gone for a week. Could you fill in here the office?" And my mom said, "Sure." So she was working in the Kelly Services office for a week fill-in, making $3.85 an hour. They liked her so much, they hired her. Within five years, she was a regional manager and opening up offices for Kelly Services. Within three years after that, that was way back when, and I don't know anybody that's my age and then some, uh, Kelly Services went back and took their franchises, brought them back in corporate in the 80s. Yeah, in the early 80s. So my mom said, I'll never work for corporate. She went and opened up top staffing. Her best friend opened up another staffing company in 1987. Tops was born. That's amazing. What a great story. 
It is a great story. And years later, I, uh, I went to Penn State. I got degrees in economics and finance and wanted to be an equity side analyst. Well, that was not the best decision in the world for me. I, was, I got out of college. I matriculated on a Saturday. I went to work on Monday morning. That's great, right? Got a job actually out of college. Most of my friends were working in retail and that kind of stuff. And I hated it so much. And my mom, who was a hell of a recruiter, still is by any stretch, she said, come work for me. I'm like, I can't work for you. You're my mother. She's like, I'll teach you how to open your own business. And I was like, well, that's really appealing. At the time, I went to be in financial services. And I said no, because she only offered me $18,000 a year. And then she came back <laughs> at 18 five with medical benefits included. And I was like, well, hell, that works. Right? <laughs> and I've, I've never looked back. Um, a couple of years later, my brother was working in the industrial engineering department at UPS. We went and recruited him. My sister was working in the business at the time. I've, I've since lost my sister. She passed. And then in 2002, me and David just decided that we wanted a trunk full of dollars and not a truck full of dimes. So we wanted to break out a light industrial and we opened up the engineering company. It's gangbusters. Alltech was 400% growth four years in a row. Wow. We're like, God, we can do this, right? In 2006, I'm pregnant as a house. He's got two little ones at home. And we thought, well, what the hell? We'll open up too. We got lucky, found two really good people, um, opened up uh, East Staff Consulting and account staff. Again, gangbusters, right? And we're like, wow, we know what we're doing here. And then in 2008, we broke out the clerical out of tops and made them sterling office professionals. So now we're five brands. What a great founding story. So that a lot of companies try to make those kinds of jumps to different industry segments and fail. You succeeded time and time again. How'd you do it? What made it successful? The right salesperson in the, in the team lead position and, and a recruiter, and it's, it's just yin and yang. When we found the right, I didn't want to open two in one year. I didn't want to do 2006. I would, like I said, I was pregnant as a house with, with my Joey and he had two little ones at home and I'm like, we can't do this. And I looked at him and I'm like, I say, we just do it. If one makes it and one fails, that's okay. You know, let's just do it. We had two really good, talented people and they were both successful, but we had the right team lead position in. How did you find the right people? And how did you find that yin yang? Um, I, I think I think sales and recruiting is all about synergy, right? The salesperson has to bring in something that the recruiter can fill and the recruiter has to have faith that the salesperson brought in the right one, right? And that when you watch two people in a room and you don't open your mouth and you do nothing but actively listen, you can tell if they're if they're if they're synchronous or not. And if they're yin and yang and they're synchronous, they're gonna they're gonna get it done. Right. At that point, it's just sheer muscle, right? It, it, it's putting people together and then doing the grind. And it's about, it's about the work. It's just about doing the work, right? You know, you have to have this type of insatiability to be in recruiting and staffing, right? Oh yes. I just made the greatest placement. What's next? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. What's next? Oh yeah. Okay. That was great. That was the best placement we've ever had. Yeah. What are we doing next? Yeah. I like that synergy part of it, working together and, and making more than two people could do singularly. I think that's amazing. And it's huge leadership skill to be able to find that. You're, I think you're underestimating yourself. I don't know. I'll, I'll take lucky over good any day. 
Now, when you brought those people in, did you bring in two people from the outside? Were they people you had already in your organization that you gave this opportunity to? No, no. One was from the, both were from the outside um, and both were successful to start. One was wildly successful. One was eh. And then we made a switch there and switched him out with somebody that's actually still running account staff today and has been tremendously. They actually just hit their all-time high last week. He was so happy. Oh, it's fantastic. It's amazing. Yeah. So you're talking how many years later, right? He's still running account staff. And he were, he came up in our talks group. So when you bring people in, and this is a constant debate in the industry, uh, do you try to bring people in with staffing experience or without? <laughs> so I'm not really in a big market, right? And it was, it's always been my mission to, to, uh, bring in talented recruiters. And that's just, it's just not realistic, right? You can't get a degree in recruiting. However, if I can find the right behaviors and the right type of person and that kind of stuff, then I can manufacture them and make them into a recruiter. So it was the summer actually before COVID hit when I decided we were going to upgrade that whole plan, right? So we actually... I had my niece in here that was interning with me. She's a Penn State law. And I thought, okay, let's just, let's spend the whole summer doing a training program. I really, I really feel like this is a gaping hole. We need a training program, right? And it was funny because my brother, who's my, obviously my business partner, he said, it's not going to take you all summer. I'm like, the hell, it's not going to take us all. Of course, it's going to take us all summer. If we do it right, it's going to, right? And it did. And every bit of it. And then I took somebody here and I made them my top recruiter in the building uh, made them. He still recruits, but he's the director of training. Right. We put this whole program into place called Elevations. And it comes with everything from readings to testings to everything else. I thought, okay, this is perfect. Right. And then COVID hit. And I thought, you know what, if I'm going to sit at home all the time, which I didn't, I just came in here. Um, I'm going to start bringing in as many recruiters as I can and getting them trained. And that was a real mission for me. And I was wildly unsuccessful at it. I mean, getting somebody to come into the office during the COVID quarantines and learn how to be a recruiter was not, not successful. Um, Since then, we have seen an increase, a massive increase in people not only applying, but looking to be recruiters. And then we're putting them through this program and we've seen tremendous success from it. So I can't really rely on that. I have to manufacture my own recruiters is, is the easiest answer to that because I'm in a small market. Excellent. You, you bring up another subject I want to pivot to, which is 2020. Um, you guys have been very successful getting through it. So what made you guys successful? I mean, okay, I love that you've said, hey, I tried to do this, it failed. But as a result of the effort, it then pivoted and became successful. But what did you do? to help all of your brands get through the last 20 months? So that's a, that's a, that's a complicated answer. So let me structure it from a complicated perspective. First thing we did was we, we decided to dive into training because if I was going to pay people to sit at home, which is what we all did, Mm -hmm. they were going to stay busy. And I knew if I could keep them engaged and keep them busy, I had a hell of a lot better of a chance of bringing them back. That was tremendously successful for me. We assigned out daily trainings 
we brought in a company, not in, in addition to the training we were doing, I brought in a company called Butler Street. And you guys might be sure. might be familiar with them. It's Great been company. tremendous. Oh, wow. Are they good? They're so good. And our consultant there is Joel, Joel Schaefer. He's fantastic. And I said, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to start getting people and keeping them engaged. Cause I knew if I lose them, it was because they were disengaged. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was tremendously successful for me. The couple of recruiters that I lost were destined to leave the industry anyway. You know, they were desperate to leave the industry anyway. So that's the biggest thing that got us through. And then we started saying, I know I have people begging me, can I come back into the office? And I said, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to make you come in, but if you want to come in, come on in. I've got a big building here and people were spaced out and I wasn't worried about it. And it was, it was, it was really good. Those groups that came back in, um, specifically account staff and Sterling are my two larger ones and talks. I mean, they went through the roof. The synergy came right back. The conversation came right back. The intensity that we all love about staffing, right? Because we like, we, we love controlled chaos, right? You got to <laughs> love it or you can't do this. And it all came back. And it all came back and we're in, we're in, you know, yoga pants and tennis shoes. I had my dog here, you know, and it came back with a vengeance. I struggled in one of my brands because there were, there were there's some health issues there. So coming back was not an option, but I would say those two things, keeping people engaged through training, because I had to come up with something, right? I had to. So that's what I did. I just kept them busy through training and then bringing everybody back or allowing them to come back. And they just flocked back and that, and, and we're at all time high. It's the multiples of our brands right now. That's, that's great. Is everybody back now? I, yeah. Do you mandate everybody yeah. back or they just come back because they want to be back? Um, I had to mandate one group to come back. The other four came back. Yeah. We're still fully remote. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, you know, is this, it's, it's hard to be engaged when you're fully remote. It's, it and we're, we're definitely struggling with that with our team. Um, we're too big to be this remote and not, no one knows what everyone else is doing. It's become kind of an issue for us. So it's interesting to hear you say that. And I love that you said that the center that you created so much, um, energy with everybody in the office together in that casual environment. Yeah. I mean, it's, for those of us with school-age children, we saw how disengaged they can be. Yeah. I mean, I became a police officer with grades, which is ridiculous, right? I mean, it was, it was very difficult. And you could tell the people that had the level of discipline to get their tasks done. And that's great. But what drove me crazy is I'm doing as many interviews as I can over COVID, right? Because I'm thinking, I'm still thinking at this point, ah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, if everybody's laying off, I'm going to pick up some of those really good people. Yeah. <laughs> Not for lack of trying, mind you, I just wasn't successful. They just didn't, they, once they left the industry, they didn't want to come back. And that's, you know, okay. I know people are swapping and, and hopping and stepping now. Um, but I could tell the people that could handle it and couldn't handle it. And the real true tell was me being on the phone with a potential recruiter that was on layoff or, or was working, but working remotely. And I would say, well, can you, can you interview? Can you do, can we do an MS Teams or a Zoom or something like that? And she said, well, I'm working from home. So anytime. Well, that's not really working. I mean, I get it. I see what you're saying, but you know, you're not focused on what you're doing. Clearly, you're not respecting your current employer, and you might be giving them 70% or 80%, but you're sure not giving them 100%. Yeah. So it was the people that I talked to that were working remote that said, well, 
yeah, working remote. So can we either do after five o'clock or I could take my lunch whenever. And you could tell those were the people that you wanted. And then I focused on them. Cause that's, that's a great tell. You're working the whole time. You can't. Funny you should... I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. one of the most disciplined people on the planet. I mean, I, I, I really feel like I am when I work in cars, I work in trains, I work in planes, I work in offices, I work in home offices. Mm-hmm. But, you know, th- the reality is, is I have, at the time I had two 18 year olds, a 15 and a 14. Now I have the two that are gone to college and then I have two 15s and they require work. Yes. So does my <laughs> dogs. So does my cat. So does my husband. They all require work. So on days that I would work from home, I would put in a, an eight or a nine or a 10 hour day and they would get eight hours worth of work for me. Cause the reality is you're not doing that the whole yeah. time. Even if you're really, really disciplined, you're still taking time out to pet your dog. And he's demanding. He's probably the most demanding thing in my life <laughs> is my dog. Um, and then you're, you're talking to the kids, to, you're doing other things other than work. And that's just the reality of it. Yeah, it is. It is. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure everybody gets that reality, but I, but it's definitely the reality. I was actually talking with someone this morning who's in life sciences recruiting. And he Mm -hmm. said, one of the challenges his clients are having is a lot of the people in the technical world of life sciences and particularly clinical trials are doing remote work. And they're running into instances of people attempting to hold down two simultaneous jobs yes, and be getting like double paid for their time. Like how's either person, either organization, these people are testing drugs that we're all going to take. So I really want someone focused on that while they're working for eight hours a day. I was, I was sort of shocked that these high-level professionals are uh, trying to play that game because they can right now. Yeah. Yeah. I know you mentioned to us that one of your favorite war stories was getting through the Great Recession and what you learned from it. So how was that different? Because I know when when this pandemic started, Vicki and I said, you know, we, we have those lessons from 2008 and 2020 is going to be like that. But I actually think those were a different set of lessons from 2008 and um, yeah. can be very valuable today as well. So wouldn't you share with everybody what you guys did back then? In 08, what we did in 08? Yeah. yeah. Um, honestly, nothing too different than what we did this time. And, and I look at, I, I look at, 2002 to after the, after the nine 11 disasters, but as people were comparing this, these quarantines to 08 and to 02. And I wouldn't compare it to either of those, to be honest with you. So I didn't really change my quote unquote grass, grassrootsing. I just grassroots it in all these environments. Now, sizably in, in, after the nine 11 disaster, you know, those of us who lived through it, and remember it so vividly, we knew we would look out one day and see things sizably different. The world would be different. The world would look different. It would be different. We knew that. And it was. In 08, we knew it was just a regular recession. And we knew we would return. We would we would bounce back. That's how I feel about this. Although the craziness of, you know, the first time in human history ever quarantining the healthy, that, that's just nuts to me. But okay. You know, we've always quarantined the sick, but we've never quarantined the healthy. And they decided in their ultimate wisdom, multiple politicians, every single party that they were going to quarantine the healthy because that makes sense somehow. All you did was create more sick. And we knew that it was going to create that. 
and we knew it was going to put us into a false recession. So I see 08 and now I see them as the same. It's just a one was a manufactured recession, one was a non-manufactured recession, but it's not going to change what I'm going to do. I'm just going to keep grassrootsing it. I take a minimum of so many phone calls a day. I take a minimum of interviews every single day. I continue team building and do nothing but focus on the team. That's, that's interesting. So you have KPIs for yourself and your team has complete KPIs and you yep. said minimum calls per day. And mm-hmm. so how do you, I, we get this question a lot, you know, from our team and from some of our clients, you know, how do you police that? How do you make people understand that those activities are going to result in the sales or the placement? Honestly, it depends what kind of learner they are. Um, If they're a visual learner, you have a picture of a funnel that you're constantly filling and you put it in their cube. It's as simple as that. It's a visual, right? Most people are visual learners. So each week we report all of our metrics. We report in a sales roundtable at nine o'clock on Monday morning, every single metric, including calls, including connects, including boiling down to meetings, right? Because you have to have those meetings, that growth to continuously grow. Because I don't want I don't want my salespeople to become account managers. I don't want them to rely on the current accounts that they have. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of a given, right? Mm-hmm. We need organic growth. And those, those metrics, those KPIs is where you get the organic growth. So we sit in a room, we sit in our cafeteria every Monday morning at nine o'clock and boil that down and everybody reports. And I take it down on a spreadsheet and I look at it and I do trend analysis on it. At two o'clock every Monday, we have the recruiter roundtable, and we do the exact same thing. Everything from how many tips did you get this week? The five, the five things on every call, right? Rate availability tips. We report on tips that we lost. And then we talk about it and say, how did you lose that one? Who was that for? You know, and, and, and that th- these are not only team building things. They're trainings, mm-hmm. right? And I do metrics analysis on that as well and trend analysis to see where we're trending. Oh, we're, third week in a row where we only had X number of tips in the building, let's do a tip training, right? Every Monday morning at nine and every uh, Monday at two is when we report these. So it's regular, it's expected, and it keeps everybody on track. Did you learn that from your mother or is that something you did yourself? You know what? It's one of those things that came out of um, uh, came out of COVID when we realized, oh my God, sometimes they're working and sometimes they're not. So let's like start taking a look at this. And when we got back in the office, I decided to sit everybody in the cafeteria. Yeah, that's great. I think those in-person meetings when you have to stand up in front of everybody around you and say, "I didn't make my calls, I didn't hit my numbers." That's yeah. pretty compelling to get people to do their jobs and see the value. And I would have to train them to do that too. So like, for example, I use Bullhorn and I have a long relationship with Bullhorn, a great relationship with Bullhorn. And I'm thinking, you know what? I got to build all this into a report. So I actually contacted them and said, I, I mean, there anybody who uses Bullhorn knows they're not great with reporting, but they're really good about custom reports. Mm-hmm. And I had them build me a custom report that was accessible to everyone in the building, all five brands, sales and recruiting, so that you could access your metrics week to week. 
And I built it for exactly what I wanted everybody to report. So one, it was very easy for them to do, it was easy for them to track and they could identify their own problems. If you hire the right people and you identify their own problems, you're good. You make business sound simple, but that's really true. <laughs> I know we asked you in advance, Susie, about topics to talk about. You gave us a few really great things to dig into. I want to pick one of them out, which was you talked about focusing on growth and growth only. Could you explain a little bit about what you meant by that topic and what we should be focusing on? Yeah, that's, that's what I call grassroots. Um, my, my number one job in this building is to bring in more recruiting and more sales. Uh, sales number one job right now is to sort through the crap that they can fill and the crap that is never going to get filled and to really do a good job on setting a client's expectations. I've never heard my salespeople say no more times in my life. There's no way you're filling it for that. We need at least 30 an hour, blah, blah, blah. You're not going to do that on a third shift, whatever that is, whether that's, Hey, listen, cost accountants, you're looking at 120 K right now. If you can't do that, let me know. Cause we're not going to write your order. Right. Um, recruiting's number one job is to get people's commitment. If I bring you this offer at $62,000, can I accept it for you? You know, gaining their commitment to taking the jobs. So when I say focus on growth and growth only, recruiters gaining commitment to fill jobs, salespeople going through and determining what actually is fillable in a limited resource environment, because nothing's more valuable right now than a recruiter's time, right? My job is to bring in more recruiting, as many as I can, as much as I can, and get them trained up. I love that. And I love sort of simplifying the, you know, here's our mission. You know, as the leader, I'm, my charge is to drive growth. And I drive it in sales growth. I drive it in recruiting growth. So for our sales team, don't be order takers. You can't be right now. You actually have to be, you know, your consultative sales skills, you're no longer selling staffing services, you're now selling the labor market. And this yeah. is the reality of the labor market. And I think a lot of salespeople in the industry never had to learn how to do that kind of consulting. They were trained how to sell staffing, not how to unsell the client on unrealistic expectations. Yeah. How do you effectively get your clients to believe that they need to pay more, to believe that the quality of their job is not sufficient to attract talent? I, I mean, we train our salespeople to do that. I mean, you have to, you have to, because I, I had a sales guy and he said, well, we've always done that at 20%. I'm like, yeah, well, now isn't always. Mm. What used to take a recruiter three weeks to fill is now taking a recruiter six weeks to fill. So if you value your recruiters, don't do that at 20. That's, that's, that's an old mentality. That's like saying, okay, I have a 3% unemployment rate. Like, cause remember right before COVID hit, we had a two to 3% unemployment rate in the accounting and finance industry. And it was funny because my, my accounting team lead is a good friend of mine and has been for many years. And he was so excited. They had the biggest placement that they've ever had the biggest fee, which is great. It was like, it was like $280,000 job. It was a huge fee. Right. And I, I, I looked at his recruiter and I said, why the hell did you do that at 20%? Why didn't your sales guy get it for you at least at 25? But you're stuck in that old mentality. But if you think about it, oh my God, this fee's great, right? But really, she was so excited. She's like, this is the biggest fee I've ever had. It took me six weeks to fill this job. I said, Angela, that's great. Why'd you do it at 20? 
<laughs> some of those perspectives that got drastically changed. But if you're putting six weeks into something, you're feeling something that you, you, you got to think forward, right? Yes. It's a good point. Very good point. For sure. There's another topic that you, you listed, and I think it's sort of related, which is um, during the pandemic, you, you said that people should not be making emotional rash decisions that they need to hunker down. And I think it's related to what we're talking about, but I'd love to have you build on that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So this, I've, I've never in my 51 years seen people make more emotional decisions than I saw during the COVID quarantines. And I think that there was just so much damage done to the human psyche. Having somebody that's healthy. And again, we're quarantining the healthy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask again, why the hell we did that? But okay. Mm -hmm. I get politics. I do. I follow it. (laughs) And I think that there was so much damage to so many people's mental psyche that they were making rash and emotional decisions. I had a guy quit here to take another job that I couldn't believe. I, I just couldn't believe he couldn't just not make an emotional decision. And that's just dangerous, right? Um, Until you're stable and comfortable. I mean, he had two little kids. It shocked me, right? And I think that the COVID quarantines just was too much for people. And it caused emotional outlashes. I mean, you saw rioting in streets. Come on, man, come on, right? That wasn't really all about politics or anything else it was about people getting the hell out of their house right there was a component of that you know you saw it in a lot of different cities people were upset in these crazy mob mentalities and I think that there was I I do believe that there was some damage and I saw people jump jobs that I couldn't believe jump jobs I saw people quit jobs that I couldn't believe in a normal in a normal psyche would be considered way too dangerous you know they got little kids they got mortgages they got everything I just kept telling people, just, just hunker down. Don't, don't do anything rash. Just, just hunker down. I had one guy who is an old friend of mine that said, he's like, I'm just going to sell my house. I'm like, what? Why would you do that? <laughs> he's like, well, I just want to go to the beach. I want to move to the beach. I, I was like, you know, I mean, I'm, you're an adult. I'm not going to make your decisions for you, but that's nuts. I had one guy at 59 say, I can't do this anymore. I'm retiring. And literally my brother looked at him and said, can can you afford that? He said, I don't know. I'm like, okay, all right. You know, I I just think everybody should have tried to take a breath. I get the whole getting back to normal thing. I understand, but just, just hunker down and don't make rash and emotional decisions right now that you're going to regret when we rubber band out of this. Yeah, That's what I meant. Do you think that you, we're still seeing some of that aspect? Because it's so hard to fill these job orders and we don't know, you know, the, the market, the number of people looking for jobs is declined. Where have they gone? And I know there's a lot of theories and it's not probably one thing. Do you think there's still an element of, of rash decision making? I, I cannot ever tell. I can not only tell you absolutely yes, let me demonstrate through my five brands. Okay. Um the, the, these quarantines, and I think my brother said it best, right? They did nothing but make poor people poorer and rich people richer, right? We saw, we saw 
restaurants closing. We saw struggling small businesses closing. Walmart's at an all-time high. Amazon's at an all-time high. It's ridiculous, right? Body in motion stays in motion. I can tell you that my top spram is light industrial and traditionally the lower paid people, right? Mm-hmm. It's an all time high. We have been killing it during COVID knock on wood and we're killing it during COVID because those people have to work. They didn't really care if there was COVID quarantine. I can tell you across my five brands, there is the same type mentality where it's body in motion stays in motion and the people that were out of motion are not coming back to the workforce. I don't care if that's a $170,000 professional engineer that we're trying to fill right now, right? I got an en- a, a PE in my engineering brand that they can't fill because everybody that I talk to is like, eh, nah, I, I'm going to sit out some more. You're not working but you're not going to take $170,000 for it. Really? Right? Really? We're seeing it in all brands. It doesn't matter what their um, specialty is, whether they're engineering or accounting or um, IT people, they're either staying in or they've already gotten out and mentally they're out. They're just out. And I had, let me give you a good example. This is probably... I don't know, three months ago, I had an an interview for an internal recruiter and I was doing a Teams invite and I was talking to him and he's been out of work for 18 months. And I said, well, okay, that may or may not be his fault. It was his fault. So he said, when I asked, I asked him the question, something along the lines of, well, why now? I mean, why are you looking now? He actually said to me on a Teams invite, well, I just feel like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of time. I'm like, oh, body emotion stays in motion. The people that have been proactive during all this are going to be fine. The people that aren't are going to really struggle because who wants somebody that doesn't want to work? And that yeah. screams, I don't want to work, right? Yeah, absolutely. He didn't even understand. He didn't realize what he was saying to me. And when I, when I inquired, I said, well, it doesn't really sound like you want to work. He's like, well, it's not about that. I'm like, but that's what you just said. <laughs> Body in motion stays in motion. That's fascinating. Yeah, so given the the struggles that are out there right now to fill open orders, is that an opportunity to uh, re-engage the disengaged? I know labor force participation is at its lowest level. I think I saw a stat last, year, last week since the mid-1970s. Um, is there an opportunity to get the people who are stopped being in motion to get back in motion? Uh, yes, if a recruiter can successfully get the commitment. Because if you're not getting commitment, right, you're getting ghosted constantly. You may or may not have missed something. You know, we always say in recruiting, well, if, if, if that guy doesn't make it, then I miss something. If they don't take the job, if they turn the job down, if they decide at the last minute not to take it, then you miss something in recruiting. But right now, I think it's more about gaining their commitment to make that jump again. That's what Wonder, I think. You know, the tr- amount of training and investment you've made into training programs, maybe there's opportunity there, and I'm just sort of speaking out loud, um, to get this group of people retrained into something that would engage them more so that you could get that commitment. And I, I just wonder, what does it take somebody to get back into motion? 
Pat, I can't tell you. I know. I don't know. Nobody can. I mean, that's yeah. the million dollar question right now. Because okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my two cents. Like I, I think all motivation comes from a single word, excitement. And I think being locked down at home, um, I mean, people love the spending more time with their kids till they had to be parent and teacher. And it was 24 seven. And all of a sudden those lovely kids weren't so lovely to be around. Um, you know, our kids are great. They're grown. They, we were empty nesters. And then everybody came back home and we loved it. And then 15 months later, we're like, okay, it's time for them to move on again. We still love them, but you, you know, it, take, it weighs on everybody. And I think you have to look at the, the people in the workforce and say, what's going to get them excited? If they, if it's, they, they don't want to go back to what they did. They don't want to go back to what was yesterday, mm-hmm. but they don't know what's next. They're just lost. So if there's a way a recruiter can help, you end up becoming psychiatrists, but talk to people and figure out what's going to energize them, get them excited, that will motivate them. But shy of having that excitement, I think you know, if you've got money in the bank account and you, you don't financially have to make a move, they're not going to be motivated to make a move. Yeah. All right. Let's. I think, um, I think that's well said. Thanks, Susie. I, I, I want to. I was looking at uh, at the clock, and there's at least one big question I want to get to here, which is: This is secrets of staffing success. You've got a business that's been doing this successfully for 40 years. So, what's the secret? <laughs> Focus on the curve. So, imagine yourself riding a bike and you're going around a curve you focus on the curve not the rocks in the road they'll still be there when you get past them you're not going to move those rocks you're not going to stop that bike to get those rocks just just drive past them and focus on the curve i love that i'm not a skier in the woods but somebody told me that if you do that kind of skiing never look at the tree oh that's true oh yeah i do ski wood so yes that's true (laughs) That's great. All right. Is there anything else, Susie, that you want to cover here that we haven't asked you yet? Make sure we've got that opportunity here. I don't think so. All righty. All right. Well, I, our usual way to end is to ask people where they can get a hold of you. And the, the most common response is, well, just find me on LinkedIn. But they're not going to find you. So, Susie, if anybody wants to know more about top staffing and uh, Susie Dietrich, where can they reach out? They can call me at my desk. I'm always here. My Nittany line right behind me. 412-701-9001. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time, expertise, such great lessons. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Susie was a great storyteller. I loved all the stories and I loved hearing about her mom and how her mom started the business, you know, not college educated, started out um, as a Kelly girl, didn't want to work for corporate, decided to start her own thing. And the rest is kind of history. That was a really good story. And you got to listen to it with your mom sitting over your shoulder, which is even cooler. It was very cool. So yes. um, Yeah. Everybody listening in. um, I'm, I'm remote today down visiting with my mom and uh, she's sitting at the other end of the table that I'm using to record. So it was really kind of special that she got to hear a story about another staffing company that was founded by a mom because the company that uh, Vicki and I came out of was started by my mom and dad. So that was really special. So Vicki, um, a lot of good lessons here and actually like really different than most of the other people we've talked to. So what's, what's one of your big takeaways? Um, 
Susie runs her business really well. She's a really effective leader and she's really driven and focused. And I appreciate that because I know how hard that can be. So just, um, I think having the right people, she mentioned a lot of things that I strongly believe in, which is having the right people in the right seats will create synergy. She talked about filling the funnel and getting people engaged and making sure that um, people are well-trained. So there's just a ton of this kind of having a, a meeting cadence, all these things that we've been trying to instill in our company over the last several years, probably before COVID even. Yeah, she didn't say EOS or scaling up. I was expecting her to pull that out, but she was almost reading from the playbook from those systems. It's like, okay, we've got you know very clear objectives. We've got a scorecard that everybody reports on. You mentioned it. We have a meeting cadence that we stick to. I love that she pulls everybody. We're going to get in the cafeteria once a week. Sales, this is it. And you get up in front of anybody else and you say, how you did in your KPIs? Recruiters, we're getting together a few hours later and you do the, the same thing. I also really like that you know the secret of her... 40-year success, it's the basics. She kept saying, get back to grassroots. Mm -hmm. If I'm in sales, my job is to bring in business. And what was probably when she started the company, a mission of teach people about staffing, today has become consult with people about the realities of the market. And I know every staffing company is trying to do that right now, but a lot are really struggling to get the clients to buy in. And I, I completely love that she said, hey, we're not going to have any downtime in 2020. We're going to train. And there's going to be stuff every single day for people to learn. I love that. In fact, that's on my personal take-home lesson of things to do from today's episode. Well, it created engagement, which she's exactly right. We had to keep people engaged through COVID. And we, and we do still, because there's so many things um, impacting our lives right now. And the whole quarantine and having your kids homeschool and who knows what's going to happen next week. And, you know, all of those things, keeping people engaged is really, really important. And training is one way to do that. I thought that was a really good idea. And I, I agree with you with the, um, the grassroots bringing more, more sales and recruiting is her job, bringing in more recruiting and getting them trained up. She feels is her job. And then making sure that her sales people are trained to be able to say no to a client. I think that's huge you know, we, I'm not going to write an order because that we can't fill that order. And if I'm going to write this order and I know it's going to take six weeks to fill, I'm going to write it at a higher margin, a higher amount. So I think those are huge um, takeaways for anybody listening. Yeah. And related to the, each job in the, in the company, um, for those who have never listened to, watched, or read uh, Jeff Smart's book called Who on the hiring process, he talks about creating position descriptions or you know, job profiles. And it's not, here's duties and responsibilities. It starts with what's the mission of the job? Just like a company has a mission. Every role in your company should have a mission. And then the next thing is, what are the key outcomes that you're requiring people to deliver? And what's the time frame for a new hire on those outcomes? And then even for established people, what's the time frame for those measurements? And what are the KPIs for the role? And, and Susie very naturally does that in her business. There's a role for salespeople. It's really a really clear mission. They know the outcomes. They know the KPIs. Same with the recruiters. And even though so many of the jobs in staffing are similar one company to the next, I'm not sure there's always that level of clarity that she's providing. And it's so important to hiring and managing the people in the business. Very much. 
I guess my other takeaway, I really liked when we were talking and, and she said it multiple times, the body emotion stays in motion. And this issue that we're having right now with people not ha- coming back uh, into the workforce and not wanting to take really great jobs because they're not used to having to, to get up in the morning and go to work anymore. They're not used to that. And the people that you're filling the jobs with that um, are already in motion are probably the better candidates. It's kind of an interesting view of the world. Very interesting. And my last takeaway is uh, her quote, uh, now isn't always. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, you know, you, and I've heard it. I've heard it in, in our business in the last week. Well, you know, this is how we did it before. Well, I, I'm cementing that one in my brain. Now <laughs> isn't always. What a great lesson for the salespeople. What a great lesson, I mean, in a nice way, to even say to clients who are like, well, your fee used to be X. Well, it used to take two weeks to find someone. Now it takes six. You're paying me yeah. for six weeks of work. And so my fee shouldn't be the exact same amount it was before. Exactly. So I, I love exactly. that lesson. I wrote down that quote and then I highlighted in my pink highlighter right here because I was like, wow, now is and always, that's perfect. I also wrote down, you know, focus on the curve. I love that. I would have loved to have had more time to dive in a little bit deeper on that, but she's exactly right. If you're riding a bike down the road, if you look at the rocks, you're going to hit the rocks. If you keep your focus on where you're going, you're going to get there. And that's a great lesson for all of us. I think you had some firsthand experience with that last summer, right? Riding your bike through the backwoods of Virginia. I did. I did. I rode across for those of you who don't know, I rode across Virginia, which um, with my daughter, it was her idea. And I decided to go along and there are a lot of hills in Virginia. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I won't go too far into that. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, thanks everybody for listening to this episode of Secrets of Staffing Success. Um, we'd love to get feedback from you. Leave us a review, send us an email, let us know what we can do to make the show even better for you. And uh, for all of us at Haley Marketing, thank you so much for listening. Bye now. <laughs>